0: growth requires more than capital why do we call it the cheat code nobody said growth had to be fair
1: revenue solves everything
0: welcome to
1: the cheat code Code.
0: what was our fastest path to revenue we tend to like to do things the hard way
1: what's the cheat code it's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others what is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations that's our cheat code
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Cheat Code. You know, in today's market, going, the outbound motion is more difficult than ever. We're in a recessionary environment. Not that outbound was ever easy. It's one of the hardest things that you can do as a part of your go-to-market motion. Companies are often wondering, when do I deploy an SDR? Do I deploy an SDR? Should I have full cycle sales reps? A million different questions when it comes to building outbound in in a startup environment or any sales environment whatsoever which is a great topic today. I'm Josh Wagner, alongside me, Justin Gray, for our guest, David Delaney, who's the CEO and co-founder of 10 Pound. David, thanks for joining the show.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you guys.
0: Yeah, we're super excited to have you. So, you know, kicking it off, we talked a little bit there in the intro about just the outbound motion going to market. And, you know, Justin and I have our first couple of investments here within Revenue Capital. And one of the most common themes we see is, do we use an SDR or do we just use AEs? What's the right mix? What are your thoughts on that, just to get the conversation going?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the dogmatic approach is looking almost like 20 years ago now is the success that Salesforce had with the building up their SDR program. And that's become sort of the Silicon Valley playbook that You know, as soon as you feel like you've got some momentum, that people go out and start hiring SDRs. But you know, just being in the business for a long time and and um, understanding the nuances, it's it's not quite that simple. And and one thing that that comes to mind when I'm thinking about this is everyone's familiar with product market fit and the feeling of starting to get some momentum when you have product market fit. But what people don't talk about as much is go-to-market fit, and and you know it's it's a it's kind of a, a way to understand do you have the right go-to-market process in place, uh, and and then building out your team from there versus just
1: adding SDRs to the mix. Josh, Larry, smiling because uh, yeah, it's, it's it's literally the thesis of our organization. Do you have product market fit with little to no go to market fit? That's an awesome investment for us. So, talk talk a little bit about how you define go to market fit because it's certainly one of those things that we say to early stage founders, and you can see that kind of like glazed look in their eye, um, and then we normally have to go in pretty deep ar- around what that what that means to us. So, curious as to how how you define that.
2: Yeah, definitely, and I, I want to give full credit. I didn't come up with this. It was it was a guy named Tae Han Nam who works at St- uh, Storm Ventures, and um, he has actually written the book on it. So I, I would definitely you know look. Quite at literally, it. literally, yeah, and and podcasts and all sorts of stuff. But I, I just you know I'm in the trenches a lot as a advisor and working with SDR teams, and so it just all of a sudden you know it makes more and more sense that once you, you've got product market fit is, is, is a a feeling that you're getting inbound leads, you're getting referrals, you know, it's sort of self-generating to the point where it's like, okay, we're onto something here. You know, we, we, we've got, we've got something going with go to market fit. It's, it's almost like an experimental process. And the way that, that um, uh, Nam describes it is, you're you're surfing to some extent, and you're paddling, paddling, paddling. There's different waves are going by, but finally you find that right wave. You get right into it, and and you're riding it out, um, and and you you feel that momentum behind it. So, the simplistic way to think about it is, you you're trying SDRs, you're trying AES who do all their own prospecting, you're trying seo and and referral generated sales and you know you're making bets across this go-to-market motion and then finally something hits and you're now you've got a repeatable motion at least for the time being until the the market changes again uh taking it back to more realistic example is it's like hey we we we've hired you know five sdrs um, we bought them all the equipment um, and they're going and we're getting nothing back. Um, what do we do? You know, uh, that's that's
1: usually kind of where the conversation starts. Which is such, we were having a conversation about this the other day, like such a detriment in terms of time, right? Like normally you make this investment that at least takes a couple months to find the right you know, initial seller, maybe build out those, you know, other members of the team, SDR, B D R, whatever we want to call them. And then you realize like two or three months into that, that that's not getting traction, it's not working. And you've got like six to eight months now that you've given up in bookings traction. So like getting this right from the beginning is, is so critical. Um, talk to me a little bit about what that, like in the ideal stage, if someone hasn't already gone down and, and well, do they have to experience that pain? before they can really understand that they need some help there or that they need to take a different direction. Or is it something like in a utopian world, you can come in and kind of build out the right blueprint from scratch. Like here's exactly what you need to do for your business.
2: Yeah. I wish man, I would be retired right now if I knew. And that's what makes it really, really hard because it's like, you got to go out and fail fast, you know, with your go to market motion and try to see if you're getting that, that, self-generated momentum from what you're doing and so you know the, the, the take it a like baseline example could be you have you have one salesperson who's like a a renaissance rep so they're doing everything and they're doing some prospecting they're calling the inbound leads they're working their database and they they start to get some traction in one of those areas. And so it, it could be, they're starting to get some traction in outbound. They're really great about following up on leads. They're great with their referral selling motion. That's where you want to double down and, and start to build it out. And you could see, if you were going a, a dogmatic approach, it's just like, okay, we have two sales reps, now let's hire three SDRs. It's a little bit more nuanced than that because it could be that you're getting some traction as a referral seller, and this this Renaissance rep is really really good at that. Build that out and start to do some experimentation with that motion, and put some money behind that, and and see how you know how far those legs can run, you know, before you just follow the playbook. Well, you know what you highlighted there, I think,
0: really amplifies the challenge for especially early stage founders, is they don't know what the expectation should be realistically of that hire, right? And are they sh- should they just expect meetings? Should it be we're getting acceleration through some pipeline by inbound? Like you just mentioned, a whole bunch of things that I think most founders don't even realize could be the role of an SDR, right? And it's interesting i have a, a an advisory role with an early early stage startup company and the founder i give him credit he let his sdr just go figure it out like test the market where where does the message resonate where does it not and it was like basically trying to find an icp by brute force right and hey i mean it, it was a cool method and i just don't see many people having the patience for that so how do you come in and level set expectations with founders of what should we be expecting to get out of this type of hire?
2: Yeah, well, it's it's a good opportunity. I mean, there, there's not a lot of firms like yours who are really focused on the go-to-market motion. Um, so I think you guys are. It's a really interesting opportunity to be able to work with these companies because there's this 99 of the world is focused on the product market fit, and it's like once we find that we're good, man, we're we're going to be good to go. But then then what right and and so you can you can create like almost like a playbook of frameworks for the different companies that there's there's going to be these stages that you go to go through in your development of finding go to market fit and and these are the patterns that we've seen over the many years that we've worked with these companies and so and so, let's fit your stage into where you are right now in this continuum. And it's like, right now, all you are is two engineers with some funding, a great idea, and product market fit. Okay. What we usually see there is, okay, you want to get that renaissance rep who can do everything and, and can, you know, throw, basically throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what starts to stick and then double down on that. But but then you might have another company that, that comes in and they they've already they've they've hired five SDRs they've got a bunch of sales reps and nothing's working right now and it's like okay we we need to go, like go into experiment mode at this point and really figure out do, did we need SDRs <laughs> at, at all uh, you know and and did that experiment work because it looks like it hasn't uh, what w- you know what could be a, a potential uh breadcrumb that we could follow you know that that could
1: lead us to better success so yeah i mean such such an important question to your point earlier like everyone is still running in my opinion the the same playbook overall right like there's just far too much and again i'm speaking from opinion here but i think there's far too much focus on hiring a quote-unquote vp of sales as a first sales hire um i think there's a big focus on you know sdr's solve all problems Um, and, and so what we see on our side, because we're so vertical SaaS focused, like oftentimes, you know, SDRs may not fit in that business for many years because we're predominantly selling through a channel. We're getting a lot of exposure to, you know, what we would call our, our ICP and, and even the SAM. So, I mean, are there some indicators that an organization can look at to say, yeah, you know, my, my solution, where it's at in terms of maturity or the market size, or, you know, just what, what are some of those key indicators that you look for that, uh, you know, show the show the, the path to building out the beginning of an SDR team.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's not to be too consultancy, but but it's it's really nuanced it based on the company. Yeah, I know, <laughs> dude. Thanks, I'll send you my bill. Um, it depends, <laughs> but but um, the you know the trend that we've seen over the last few years is is a product led growth motion where you can get the product into their hand. They start to use it, and then they bump up against a, a paywall, and and then it's 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 a very marketing led motion, and and um, it's probably you know you've seen it with with in your in your background, in that that you can go up to a certain point, and um, you you know you have to have some salespeople, but it's not as much of turning that corner to a sales led motion, but but what you see is at some point the product led. Growth engine sorts of starts to sputter, and even the biggest product-led growth companies have this huge SDR sales organization, and, and they start to really really focus on outbound, and and to trying to figure out how to juice the the product-led motion and turn it to a sales-led motion. So so it's just it's there, there's that, that con, uh, continuum of the of the the uh, go-to-market strategy that you see you know, based on where the company is. You've
0: mentioned the term renaissance rep a couple of times and I'm really digging it. So can you, can you kind of d- define that for us? Because I do believe in the stage of company, especially that we're typically investing in, that's probably a lot of what we're looking for. So what what do you mean when you say renaissance
2: rep? Yeah. I mean, and if you've ever worked at startups or um, I know Sean Kester is in the room, like there's those, those Swiss army knife people, you know, that, that come in right at the beginning and they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're roll up their sleeves, scrappy, hardworking, you know, um, whatever it takes type of people and very outgoing out in the market, talking to people and understanding what works and what doesn't, you know, from a very practical perspective. I mean, like, the runway is so short at a startup, you you, you may just have a year or two to, uh, to make it work or not. And there's absolutely no time for the the kind of corporate mentality of, um, I just want leads or, you know, i am just wait for my SDRs to, I'll go complain about my SDRs. That's that's the worst. But now we're just getting into it. <laughs> but anyways. Or do you think companies over-index in that
0: environment? Like, I feel like that renaissance rep, there's something... Where founders might over-index, whether it's industry
2: experience or I don't know. What, do you see any any pitfalls in that? Yeah, I, I would take it from a completely different angle as far as in, like they in my book they don't need any ind- industry experience. What they need is scrappiness and ability to be coached and um, the, the, the the curiosity and learning what works and what doesn't and and just an incredible work ethic. You know, uh, because it t- it's takes uh, you know when you look at a rocket ship, like all the av- all the uh, uh, propulsion is in the beginning, right? Once it gets up into space, then it's it, you're good, and that's where you are in a, in a startup. So you, you need somebody who can. It, it's not only just to sell you know, for you and and create pipeline, but it's to test the market and to understand the market and then get that intelligence back into the 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 go-to market motion. So it's a c- critical um you know I I I would hire I I mean and it's a unicorn type of position but if you find the right person um I think of like a uh, the uh I think his name's Sam Blonde from Zenefits and you know he he, he you go from this renaissance rep situation at the beginning to now he's you know the SVP of sales. You know in in ten years because th- that's the that's the type of person that you're looking
1: for. Yeah, so I mean, couldn't agree more. I think you know finding, understanding your you know your company stage, your market, what you need that rep to to look like, and 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 finding that hire is so critical. There's something else there as well, right? Like as they're running all those experiments, like you're getting a lot of information and data back, like process has to you know allow that information to live you know as we begin to staff the team and, and kind of round things out and so on so what what do you see the most successful organizations doing with that massive amount of data and learning that's coming off that early sales team like how, how do they really ensure that that that's going to have you know impact on on, on the team as it, is, as it expands
2: yeah and this you know i wish i had like a more fun answer but a lot of that is Project management and really running like the uh, the scientific method essentially. Um, so so sitting down and, and going, okay, we're going to try something for ninety days. Um, you're in charge as the project manager to to uh, come up with the idea, run the play, and then track it over ninety days and come back and report on what happened. And it's it's basically the the scientific method that's been around for centuries, which is. You come up with a hypothesis, you you um, experiment in the market, uh, run that data back to um, in a report, and understand what worked and what didn't. Then double down on another hypothesis and and continue that project, but forever basically. Um, and you know it's it's much more fun to just buy something or hire a bunch of people or you know throw bodies at a problem but really it comes down to you know the block and tackling
1: yeah <laughs> the speaking of cheat codes right like what I, what I'm finding is that in really well- run startups and in organizations that are really getting traction and, and and you can see that kind of trajectory that that's leading up in, up and to the right one of the main differences between those and and those that are not, is also just organization like are they bringing those learnings together in some semblance of a playbook i really don't care about format but like just ensuring that everyone is is contributing back to that single source of truth and that they're not losing that information over time like we just were having a conversation a couple of days ago and we asked for you know, what, what do you have in terms of sales playbook or process? And we got like 50 different documents and like one was like, well, we don't really use that anymore, but there's some good things in it. And it's just all over the board. And I'm thinking, how are they going to expect, you know, a new seller to come into this environment and really get their arms around everything? So it's funny how those like unsexy or, you know, the, the things that you don't see a lot of like blogs and, and articles and speaking opportunities around, like are actually so critical in terms of project management, change management, documentation, like that that stuff you know, sucks to say like, Hey, that's, this is a big lever, but frankly it is. Yeah, exactly.
2: And this stuff doesn't get any clicks. Right. And that's why it's, it's much more fun exactly. to post controversial stuff and get a bunch of clicks and stuff like that. But really it just comes down to like these, these boring topics. But um, you know, it, one thing I, 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 learned, if you ever heard of the entrepreneurial operating system um, and there's a book called traction by Gino Wickman um, it, 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 st- startups being chaos. Um, one of the things that they they really emphasize in their their program is having a very operational person um, that's in the middle of the chaos and is, is the the you know button down type A organized um, operator who can who can round up all the information and put it into a package that's usable and becomes that tribal knowledge for new people as you scale. And, um, you know, because if you think about it like doing startups, it's pure chaos. I mean, you're you're running around trying to stay alive and, um, you know, do all the different things that you need to do to stay alive. And it's like the last person, the, the last thing anybody wants to do is actually organize this.
0: document and organize well and you you touched on a little bit but like the feedback loop i think you get a lot of feedback on product early on and founders are really open to that feedback from their customers and whatnot but you don't take the same level of rigor in terms of feedback from the market as you are maybe starting your outbound or testing some marketing messages or whatever you're not taking that same level of rigor with the feedback loop and and giving the organization an opportunity to learn from what they're actually seeing and feeling and hearing from people that aren't already customers that you can use to to, to move things that move things in a different direction potentially because you said experimentation. Well, that experimentation doesn't mean anything if you're not collecting the feedback and doing something with it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, most most startup founders that you guys know are are engineers. So they're coming from this is makes a lot of sense for them from a ones and zeros perspective but they apply that to their product market fit and they're, they're putting all their energy back into making the product awesome. But as you've uncovered in your work, um, if nobody knows about it and there's no go to market fit, then um, you can have the best product in the world and and it just dies. So you just got to put that same uh, thoughtfulness into your
1: go to market fit uh, as well. So. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So let's, I mean, as we're talking through this, it does. Uh, you know, both startup founders, right? Like, all right, they've got to do all these things, and they're they're hard. You know, like, and there's always this glaring easy button button sitting over there as well. And I get asked this all the time, so I want to I want to know your thoughts around it. Um, and it just got bubbled back up because uh, Lemkin the other day shared, I think, some uh, old posts that they did on Tasser where they said only seven percent of outsourced SDR teams. Are actually successful, or people consider them to be successful? Um, and I get asked this all the time: Who do you recommend from an outsourced, you know, BDR appointment setting, SDR, whatever people want to term it? Um, and and I've stopped referring folks in in that regard because I've had the same experience myself. I'm curious, you know, how, how you respond to people that that come with you know that question, and and what do you think about really any of these areas that we've talked about in terms of outsourcing?
2: Oh man. I mean th- that that's another podcast <laughs> right there because because that that's to your point. It's like, oh, you know, this trying to figure this out is really really hard. It's a major headache. It's not my thing. There's a whole industry of outsource SDR companies. This is all they do on a daily basis. Let me let me give this whole thing to them and instant meetings, right? That's the dream. And that's, and also the barrier to entry to that outsourced industry is so low that you've got hundreds of players, right? Maybe thousands of players that are all basically saying the same thing. Let me take this headache off your plate so that you can focus back on the product, which is what you really want to do. Right. And, and um, that, that, that uh 7% stat um, it, 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 it's really low. I mean, it's even to, to me as someone who deals with these companies a lot, I, I was surprised to see that. I don't know what the sample set was on that poll, but um, 7% is really low. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I look at those as it's it's another channel. Um, we, we We need to look at it as an experiment. And the two key things with those companies is, Really read the contract. Like, do not get into, do not sign anything unless you actually read the fine print, because, um, you know, they're they're basically like a property management company. Uh, they 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 want to just get the account in and and never hear from you again and just keep billing you month after month as long as possible. And and if you if you're not getting the results that you need from them and, and it's, it's not going well, sometimes they make it really hard to get out of the contract. So that's the thing, number one, is if you're thinking about these companies, read the contract and understand it. Also know that you have a lot of leverage in, in negotiating contracts. And I'm sorry to all those outsourced companies, but the truth is that you as the customer is in the driver's seat at the beginning of those contracts. And so you, you can really dictate a lot of the terms. So number two is you, you've got to make sure that the, the 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 intel the the intelligence that they're gathering on the market is is even more important than the meetings that they set up for you, um, because um, y- they're learning what works and what doesn't in outbound for you, and um, a lot of the companies they keep it in a black box because um, that's their. Intellectual property is how to do this, and they're not sharing the playbook back with you, so you're you're not getting all the learning from the, all the effort and money that you're spending to employ these companies, and so you got to make sure that anytime they're picking up any intelligence or they're understanding trends that are working in their outbound, that you know about it, and and it gets put back into your own playbook.
1: Yeah, I think that's you know having and I've contracted with, you know, multiple groups in my past lives and past companies. And there is a distinctive difference between kind of that like wholesale, uh, you know, just again, like meetings as a commodity, and then the organization that really tries to make an effort. And, and that was the, the differentiator there. Although I wouldn't call any of those experiments that I've run successful, we did get a lot of information. Out of, out of those efforts, right? Like we were meeting multiple times a week. You know, if something came up, we had a direct line to the uh, you know, the, the folks sitting in the seat over there and they'd be asking like, hey, what do we say in this instance? Or, you know, have you run into this before? It's just highly communicative. They were plugged into uh, our CRM, our salesforce.com instance. And, and we got a lot of good learnings from that experience. I mean, we also, you know, one of those main learnings was it's really difficult to sell consulting through an outsource SDR layer. Um, and even an SDR layer, in, in my opinion, because people want to uh, speak to someone with expertise, and it's really the expertise that's that's selling them, not not anything else. Um, but to your point, that's a learning, right? Like it seems like, hey, if we want to scale this, um, and we want our folks only, you know, spend their time on qualified conversations and meetings, it seems like something that would be, you know, a no-brainer to outsource. And again, to the point earlier, it wasn't. And so you've got to pivot fast. and and, uh, you know, ultimately try a different avenue. Exactly. Yeah, you, you, the, the intel is sometimes
2: worth more than the meetings um, that, that you're gathering. And you got to make sure that you can get that. And um, and and you, you just, you, if it's, it, these are experiments working with outsourced SDR companies. Sometimes I, I've seen success with clients who who have used them and they get locked in and they become an extension of your, SDR team, um, and and they'll build an in-house team a, a, a with this outsource team, and they'll kind of cross-pollinate their intel and, and you know, uh, compete with each other. And there's always that little looming, like, you know, this outsource company produced uh, this pipeline, but you guys haven't done anything this month. You know, there's that tension that, that can help to improve performance. So I've seen it work in the past but i my main caveat is just um you're dipping your toes you're experimenting you're three months six months and if that thing is if it's not working and you're not completely satisfied with this experience pull the cord and you know move on well whether it's uh
0: outsourced or not one of the things that i'm just curious about is what's working you can't open up linkedin and see that something's dead some channel some tactics some this or that what's not dead what's alive what's working what's not
2: yeah and everything everything's alive everything's alive nothing's dead um and again i i um i i should post more like controversial opinions stuff like that but i think a lot of it is just bs you know to to get to get attention Nothing's dead. Um, Anything could work. What's dead is or what's not happening is that that, um, you you know, detailed project management and experimentation for your particular market conditions and your particular product. That that is what's dead and and doesn't happen because it's it's just hard. It's a pain in the neck and um, you have to go through a lot of rejection and and. No, no response and, and uh, you know, messages that, that aren't working well until you start to pick up a pattern that, hey, wait a minute, I'm on to something here. Let's build off of, of this success that we're having. So it could be in your industry that it's 100% cold calling. You know, that's, that's what works the best for you. Um, it could be that there's no, cold calling does not work at all. And it's all email and social media. You know, it could be a combination of both. Um, the fact is, you know, unless you start to get some momentum, you just don't know.
1: Man, I could tell Josh was just wanting you to say LinkedIn voicemail and then drop the <laughs> microphone and cut 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 the call off because he's such an advocate for LinkedIn voicemail. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the other thing too, like with
2: with the people that are you guys are working with. They should be really careful, and this this is a no brainer. But be really careful about the advice that they're getting on like a LinkedIn or a Twitter, and double click on the person, whoever it is, because you know it's 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 like duh. But a lot of times the anti cold call guy is selling a email course, you know, for $19.99 or the um, video you know, specialist is working with a a video vendor. I won't name any names, but you know, it's out there. Um, and, and stuff like that. So it's just like, give me a break.
0: Well, we were even just going through this exercise this morning, you know, talking about our investment criteria. Right. And part of that is looking at those companies and saying, who is their buyer and not only who they are, but how accessible are they? And then where are they accessible? And that's your point, right? Like, do these people hide behind computer screens and you might be able to find them on uh, a Reddit board or are they someone who picks up their phone? You know, that example I gave you earlier, it's a software that sells into commercial real estate. Well, cold calling works pretty well because commercial real estate people pick up the phone. They think someone has a deal for them. So you can, your your pickup rate is really, really high, right? Whereas, you know, Justin and I used to be in marketing. Marketers don't even have, they're like absolutely averse to phone. They're never going to pick up the phone not going to happen. Right. So you got to find other channels like LinkedIn or whatever it's going to be. So I think if we think about the the whole context of the show, big takeaways, right? Like experimentation, you you even need to think of that SDR role through the lens of experimentation, not just going to come in and be this meeting machine, right? Like what, what, what can we expect
1: to get out of it? And, And consistent, consistent experimentation. Like I see too much. It's like, well, I sent two of that email the other day. And then you know i use this message for a couple emails like guys we need some real you know consistency here in order to figure out what is working what's not working and so just you know those experiments can be you know controlled in time frame but there does need to be you know a a bit of a consorted effort to ensuring that we've got a data set that that's meaningful
2: yeah and and the classic one is um, hey, I tried cold calling and it didn't work. Okay, well, show me the data. Like, show, show me the actual data of your experiment that you ran over the last 90 days. And it's like, it, when it comes down to it, I made two cold calls and uh, they hung up on me both times and, and uh, I didn't like that. You know what I mean? I so like it's it's the Deming's quote. It's like everyone's, you know, in 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 God we trust, everybody else needs to bring data. And, and if you don't have that, then... You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> so. But I, your, your point earlier about the intelligence is very underutilized, right? Like, sure, I made two cold calls that didn't work because they hung up on me. Well, they didn't work because your expectation was a meeting. Did they actually tell you something before they hung up on you that was, that was valuable? They may have, right? But you didn't even know
2: that's what you were looking for.
0: So, you know, th- there is a lot to be said for being able to set some expectations for success.
2: Yeah. And the the last quick thing too with the the startups is think about that that operator role who's like the really type A organized you know um, button down person who's in charge of wrangling the chaos and and turning all this into something useful and because that's that's missing from most and and um, you know there's a lot of learning happening that just kind of gets left in the background and not you know, reorganized into something useful, so.
0: Yeah, so I I guess if we were really wrangled today into top degree, it would be, you know, think of that SDR function, especially early on as an experimentation tool, but in order for that to be successful, have a a real feedback loop that you can use to analyze the data. Um, I I like that, that second one there of bringing an operator into the mix. It doesn't necessarily need to be an executive. It just needs to be that type A that pulls things together, right, and really build some structure around what it you're doing and that I I love the, uh, if you're going to outsource, um, read your contract. That's, that's a, that's, that's a good one for me. So David, we, we appreciate you joining the show. Uh, wondering for folks that are listening, if they want to find you, what is the best way to do so?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Just, um, 10 bound.com. Um, there's a lot of information about exactly what we're talking about there. It's all free ungated and, um, We'd love to see you. We're doing a, a virtual conference uh, coming up next week and and we do those throughout the year. So we'd love to see you there.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, it's cool. We can put a link to that in the uh, in the description. That's awesome.
0: Awesome. Well Well, David, thank you for joining the show. For those of you listening. If you like us, if you like David, you know, drop us a review on Apple or whatever your podcast platform is, that'll help expand our reach. And until next time, we'll see you there.